0: Mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. May be seated. Today's gospel picks up right after Jesus preaches his Sermon on the Mount, which is early in our Lord's ministry. Even before preaching that sermon, great crowds were following Jesus. So having this crowd following Jesus as he preaches the word, as he performs these miracles, uh, Jesus then goes up on a mountain where he is seated and he begins to preach. Now in those days when somebody had something to say with authority or had that position of authority, When he would speak, he did not stand like I am, but instead he would be seated. And the rest of the people, they would submit to him as they stand and as they listen. In our day, we do the exact opposite in practice. In fact, pastors preach by standing from a pulpit for a reason. The pulpit is Here, not so that there's some sort of stand to just hold a couple sheets of paper, but instead the pulpit is here to indicate that the one who is preaching is a herald sent from God to proclaim the good tidings of the word of God. That they are sent by God to proclaim not the opinion of himself, but the very word of God. Standing in the pulpit means the pastor is Christ's ambassador, and under-shepherd of Christ, to proclaim not just a mere talk or something that sounds warm and fuzzy, but the serious and life-giving, life-changing word of God. I have seen in some churches the pastor choose to not use the pulpit, to instead wander around in the chancel, maybe even going up and down the aisle. For some, they may prefer this because they feel that the pastor is relating to the people better, that he is more relevant compared to those so-called stodgy pastors who are stuck behind the pulpit. But in the end, their actions are taking the emphasis and focus off of Christ and it is placing it on themselves and perhaps their ability to memorize or to speak off the cuff or whatever it is that he is doing. They usually don't mean to be doing this, but that is what happens. Remember, they are not sent by God to give a talk. But they are sent by God to preach Christ in proclaiming the law and the gospel. After Jesus preaches his sermon on the mount, he stands up and then he goes down the mountain. And as we heard our gospel begin, great crowds are following Jesus. Then a leper meets up with Jesus with a request that is very humble. He comes up before Jesus. It doesn't say that he announces unclean unclean like he is supposed to do according to the ceremonial law, but instead he kneels before Jesus and he requests, he prays to him saying, "Lord, if you will, you can make me clean." This is an excellent example of a man who is who has faith. Matthew doesn't tell us where this leper obtains his faith, how he hears about Jesus or where the leper has been up until this point. As you're probably aware, lepers are those who have skin uh, skin disease which is often contagious and as a result they were forced to separate themselves from society. They had to even make it clear to anyone who comes clear comes close by to not come clear buy because they are unclean. This makes the life of a leper rather lonely and difficult. So did the leper stand off in a distance and hear Jesus preach his Sermon on the Mount? Did the leper hear when Jesus was traveling around Galilee proclaiming the gospel and healing various people? Or did some people in the crowds have compassion on this leper, telling them about the great works of Jesus and the word which he had proclaimed. In the end, we do not know, but what we do know is he learned who Jesus is, he trusted in Jesus, and as one who trusts in him, he made his request before Jesus. The leper serves as a great example for us. His request was humble as he knelt before Jesus. His request was submissive to Jesus, for he acknowledged that he will receive only what the Lord wills. Yet at the same time, his request was made with confidence, for the leper knew with absolute certainty that the Lord could make him clean, could cleanse him, could heal him. In the same way, let's make our petitions be known before the Lord. Let's not just be have silent or closed lips assuming that God already knows what we need and therefore we don't have to say a thing. But let's let's make our petitions known to him. Let's submit ourselves to God's good and gracious will. Let's pray with confidence knowing that he absolutely will hear our prayers and will answer them And that there's nothing that is too hard for God to accomplish. Upon healing the leper, Jesus says something that is rather peculiar. He tells the leper, don't tell other people about what I just did. Why shouldn't the leper tell anyone? Why would he want to keep it a secret? After all, the miracles of Jesus demonstrate, in fact, they prove an important reality concerning Jesus, and that is Jesus is God in the flesh made manifest. They also demonstrate the great love and compassion that Jesus has on his people. But what the miracles do not do is get to the main reason for our Lord's coming in the flesh. You see, Jesus did not just come to extend the earthly lives of individuals. He did not just come so that people could have their afflictions taken away and that they can have a comfortable life. Many think that's what Christianity is all about, trying to get the world to operate around them so that they can have everything nice and handed to them in their lives. It's a false belief often Called the prosperity gospel, which we reject. Jesus did not come so that people could just have a happy, go lucky, carefree life. Jesus came for far greater reasons. He came to reconcile us to our Father in heaven. He came because we could not pay for our sins. We could not do what is necessary to make ourselves pure and holy to stand in the presence of the Almighty God. And so Jesus came in the flesh humbly, bearing our sins in his body, meaning he humbly came to be one of us, to take the blame for our many sins so that we can then be reconciled to God our Father as Jesus sheds his innocent blood as the ransom payment in our place. The reason why Jesus instructs the leper to tell no one of his healing is rather simply simple. Jesus came not for that reason. Yes, we can call him the great physician of our body, but he is also the great physician of our soul. While temporary healing is nice, and we can certainly bring to God our petitions to have that, as the leper did, receiving the gift of eternal life is even better. It is better to focus on the needs of the soul than those needs of the body. I suspect that is why the Holy Spirit guided St. Matthew to wait until the 8th chapter before we see specific examples of the healing work of our Lord Jesus Christ, these miracles that he performs. Luke first records a miracle in in his book in chapter 4 when he drives out an unclean spirit and then heals Peter's mother-in-law. Mark reports the same two miracles in chapter 1. John in chapter 2 recounts our Lord's first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine, which we heard last week. But of these four Gospels, if you pick up the New Testament and begin reading with page one, you'll begin reading Matthew chapter one. You'll hear of the genealogy of Christ. You'll hear of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll hear of the ministry of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. And then we'll hear for three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And then finally now in chapter 8, we hear Jesus perform this wonderful miracle. Matthew is keeping our focus on that word of Christ, that that is the way to true life and true salvation. It is what we need. God's word, this word, has power. And God works saving faith in us through that word of God. This faith receives the blessings and the promises of God. No one receives forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned on the cross apart from faith in Jesus. And the only way to obtain faith is through the word of God, for the Holy Spirit does not wish to deal with us apart from the word and the sacraments. While faith will certainly want to obey our Lord's instruction doing whatever he says, faith, of course, is not silent. Faith is filled with joy over the blessings that are received through faith. These people are astonished by what Jesus is doing and preaching, and so, of course, they keep on talking. Despite repeated commands to tell no one, they keep on telling people. They keep on spreading the word of who Christ is. Now consider how much more blessed our homes, our communities, and our country would be if God's people spoke more of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. When Jesus told the leper not to tell anybody, he isn't saying, okay, all you people who are Christians and desire to be godly in Christ, don't go out and tell anybody. That is not his instruction. He wanted to fulfill his passion and do so at the right time. And he needed to emphasize something Far more important, that word. And so we go out and tell people of the saving work of Christ. We let people know of who Jesus is for us and for our salvation. So that they too can receive the blessings that we have. So that they too can be baptized into Christ. So that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. We often, though, assume that people know the gospel. Sometimes we even become bored talking about the word of God. This often happens when we are not spending much time in the word. It's easy to think that we've learned all that we need to know about Christianity in the few years leading up to our confirmation, and then we're done growing in Christ. But it's like other aspects in life. If you do not pay attention to the word, you're not going to know it very well, and you certainly won't be talking about it. It's just like the chiefs. If you don't pay attention to them, you you won't know what they're doing, and you won't talk about them. But if you do pay attention to them, you will have something to say, and you will be talking about them. How much more important is it For us to be talking to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our families, our neighbors, whomever, that word of God, which reveals to us Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who laid down his life for us and the one who redeemed us and grants us eternal life. Now, when Jesus entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to Jesus with an urgent request to heal his servant. Centurions are commanders of a hundred men, century, hundred years, centurion, hundred men in which he is a commander over in the Roman army. This man was a Gentile and would not have been looked upon favorably by the Jews. Like the leper, we are not sure how the centurion knew about what Jesus could do. Was he present for the preaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? Did he witness other miracles? Had he only heard eyewitness reports? We do not know. But what we do know is that this man had faith, faith which, by which Jesus is astonished. Faith which trusts the word of God. If you notice, in the account with Naaman, he was not so confident in this word of God. He too was a Gentile, a foreigner. But here you have this Roman centurion who trusted the word of God because he said, he said that, say a word and it will be done my servant will be healed. In faith, the centurion knew that the word of Christ can do such great things, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He knew that the power of God is wrapped up in the word of God. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that same power of God wrapped up in that word is being proclaimed in your midst. That same life-giving, life-saving word is proclaimed to you today. What a blessing from God. Of course, even the sacraments are a visible form of the word, for in baptism, God saves you by placing his name upon you. When the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he is speaking the word of God. And when the pastor speaks the words of institution, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and so on. When he says these words in celebrating the Lord's Supper, he is speaking the very word of God, and the word is performative, doing what it says. So that the sacrament is the sacrament. The bread is the body of Jesus and the wine is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. When the pastor proclaims the benediction or other blessings like the one you hear at the beginning of the sermon and at the end of the sermon, those are words of God that do what they say. When the pastor announces the absolution, I forgive you. You are truly forgiven, for the word is doing what it says. And these truths remain even when you know that your pastor is a sinner. For the power of God is not found in a quality of the ministers God sends, nor is it lost because of flaws found in the ministers God sends, but the power of God is found in the word of God. It is easy to figure that the word should have little power. After all, that's what Naaman was doing. He didn't like what he was told. He didn't get the show he was looking for. He was told to go into some muddy creek instead of one of the greater rivers of Syria. He balked at this whole thought. But then he was reminded, did you not hear a word? Was not this word something? Therefore do it. So he dipped in the Jordan River seven times, as he was instructed, as the word said, and God cleansed him of his leprosy. Many people wish that they could have a stronger faith. Sometimes they figure they can obtain it by doing things like serving in the church or going on a missionary journey or denying oneself of some of life's simple pleasures. But faith does not come about by the things that we do. Instead, this faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit through his word. So if you desire a stronger faith, first know this, that you have this desire to have stronger faith because you already have faith in Christ. And then second, listen intently to the word. Because that is how God works faith in you. Also sing boldly that word of God. You see, our hymns are not just there so that those who like to sing can engage in singing. Instead, we sing hymns because they are a prophetic form of the word. Some of which give testimony to who Christ is. Others are prayers to our Lord, making our various petitions before the Lord. By setting the word to music, this word becomes more memorable. So when it is time to sing hymns, do not just sit there as if it is not something for you. At the very least, read along. Pay attention to the words. Let that word take root in you. But even better, sing, for God has given you a voice and he gave you a reason to sing because you are singing his word, words which speak of Christ's bleeding, dying love who atoned for your sins on the cross. When people visit our church, will they leave with the conviction that they have, that God's people here have great faith like the centurion? Will they say, like Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel? I sure hope so. For they should see our love that we have for them. They should see how attentive we are to the word of God. They should see how joyfully we participate in the divine service. They should see how we are a people of faith who have come to hear the wonderful word of God. For through that word and through that sacrament, we will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We can't receive a finer blessing than to receive this gift of eternal life, which God bestows on us by forgiving us, which we grasp and apprehend and obtain by grace through faith, In the hearing of that word, what great blessings we have in Christ who has distributed these things to us in his word. And so we joyfully proclaim his praises, we speak and sing his life-giving, wonderful word of God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.